The reading for today is from John 11, verses 32 through 44. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Holy One, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Holy One, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, see how much he loved him? But some of them said, he healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said, holy one, the smell will be awful. He's been dead four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory. So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, creator and guardian, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with the cloth. Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. The word of God for the people of God. Amen and amen. I'm going to stop sharing here. Um, so today you're getting just me, uh, my face. Uh, I'm back in my office. This is, you know, we're starting to, if you notice, this is not a green screen or it's not a background. You can hear me. If you were here last Sunday, um, I got, I was at a background because I was actually not in town and I got very, um, uh, very entertained with the way I could make things disappear. But here in the flesh at the church, um, and it's a little uh, discombobulating because we're shifting back into something that's new. Like I, now I live in kind of, I'm like two places. And this morning I got here and I'm like, well, do I have all the stuff that I planned and, you know, change no matter how much uh, we may claim to like it, no matter how much we may think we're agile and we can do it. It's, it, it's difficult, large, small, whatever it is. And I think part of uh, being community together and especially as we move into what is next for our, not just our worship services, but our life together is continuing to offer and receive the grace that we have done over the last 18 months. It has been beautiful. Uh, it hasn't always been easy uh, and we're not done. Pandemic forced a lot of things upon us uh, that we did not choose. And now we begin to choose how we move into this next phase of life together, not just again, as we continue to adapt to things that are happening because of COVID, 
but also as we continue to think about who we are as a community moving into the future. Today is All Saints Day, and it is a day that, uh, you know, for some, this is uh, one of the most favorite times of the year. Uh, it rings in the beginning of the holidays. Some of you all love Halloween, like I'm watching my social media world, and some of my friends love Halloween. And this is even post, like, if you have kids running in your house, like, Halloween was a big deal with our kids, but now, like, it's not a big deal for me. Like, we've even forgot to put our decorations out. We're like, oh, that's right. We got to get candy. Uh, we are going to give out candy. We're trying to figure out how we give out candy so parents and everybody will feel okay about us kind of putting, you know, handling all that, all that kind of stuff. Halloween is, uh, it, it's not one of my favorites, uh, but it does signal the beginning of uh, this season where we begin to end our church calendar year and we move into a new beginning of a time. There's things that happen where, depending on where you live geographically, the the air starts to change. You start to see things differently. My house plays Christmas music year round. So that's not one of the things that happens. So, but you know, you start to hear things and see things. And I know people complain about, you can't put Christmas stuff out until at least Thanksgiving or I, whatever. I don't, I, I, I'm not that much of a stickler for those rules, but there is this thing that begins to happen with the life of the church. When All Saints Day hits, we begin to prepare for the ending of a liturgical year and the beginning of a new church year, which begins on Advent. It's the beginning of a time where we remind one another that we are here not simply because we love community. We're here because this Christ child, God with us, comes into our lives and into humanity, not just to make us feel good, not just to comfort, but to create a world that is perfect. Now, we are on a journey in that. We are co-conspirators with God. Most of us will never see that in our lifetime, but there is a gift that God brings into the world through Christ, and that is this gift of life. And so today, as we remember All Saints Day, um, we think about those who have come before us and how they have gone about living in the world. The passage that you heard today is an interesting one. It's the Lazarus passage that you've heard many, many times, right? There's a lot of references to Lazarus coming back to life in, 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 in secular culture. People talk about Lazarus all the time, like this Lazarus, like this, again, coming back to life, but it is because of who Christ was in the world. I chose this one out of the lectionary this day because uh, I think death is one of those things that we often don't deal well with. We don't really like to, to deal with it in bigger picture. I think a lot of us are okay with it, are okay with it. We, we deal with it well when it happens around us and we can respond and we know what to do. But in some ways, I think this passage today, how I want to approach this is uh, a little bit more, I don't know, um, more personal about who we are as a church. Now, last Sunday, I preached a little bit about like what's next and how we move on. Today, I want to um, kind of stay in that line a little bit more. Um, to think about this idea of how we respond to death of church, to death of Christendom in the world, to the death of even, in some ways, communities that we have been part of. I don't know how many of you have ever been in conversations with people about the end of an institution, the end of an organization, the end of anything that people have put their hearts, minds, and souls into. But it is never easy, right? It is never easy 
nobody ever is part of an organization or a community and welcomes the end of it. I think intellectually, we understand that there are cycles of life and there's life and death in our human bodies, but we don't really see that or want to acknowledge that in kind of institutions. But all around us, we have seen over the last decade, institutions that have come and gone, things that we might've thought were gonna be here forever, but they have lived their life and they have come to an end. I think about restaurants and, and community groups and clubs and all these things that have had the cycle of life and death. And it's never easy, but yet I think one of the things that we need to do is understand that it is part of a cycle. It's part life and death, not just in our human bodies, but in organizations and institutions, it is part of a cycle, life, death, rebirth, renewal. And in our understanding of that, we believe that the death is not the end. Death is, does not have the final word. Death of even our bodily presence on earth is not the final word, that we continue to live on in some form of being together and connected to God for eternity. So why do we have such a problem when we talk about the death of the church? Why can't we apply those same ways of thinking when we think about the life and death of church? Because I think one of the things that we do is we respond in many ways like the story. And when I say death of the church, I don't necessarily mean the closing down of a congregation, though that can happen in some phases. But when I think about a church like First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto, and I know I might be meddling a little bit here, but whatever. Like there are phases of life that happen in every congregation. And in some ways we have to be prepared to let go and let things die in order to let things be rebirthed. We have to let go of things that will grieve us in order to trust that we are resurrection people into the future. And so as we begin to have these deeper conversations in the next six months, as we begin to discern our life together, as we continue to be community and figure out who this community is going to be and, and what your pastoral relationships will be and all of those kinds of things, know that we're going to be talking about difficult parts, which actually is going to feel like death. There will be plenty of time to be excited about the future, but there will have to be some moments where we talk about things that need to die. Now, again, that feels a little bit rough and a little bit dramatic, but at the same time, again, why can't we talk about the death of things within our institutions in the same way we do when we talk about our bodily function, our bo not our bodily function, our bodily beings, right? That there is life even after death. Because I think many of us are in the phase of Mary in this past, right? Lazarus, the brother has died. So Mary's first reaction, like it is with many of us, when there's a death that we don't expect, and Lazarus, we don't know exactly why we, he died other than it was some kind of disease. Mary was angry, right? There was blame. Like, my brothers died. Why didn't you, like, if you would have come earlier, this wouldn't have happened. Or, you know, you should have known that this was going to happen and you could have stopped this death. Like that is a perfectly legitimate, natural reaction to death in our world. 
I, I, I often think about things that are have to have happened in this church. And one of the stories I tell when I talk with church about churches is that I said, we don't have a bulletin anymore. And folks are like, well, what? And I'm like, no, we don't have a bulletin anymore. There are some online services you have to go and download a bulletin and then you read it. And you know, there's like multiple steps. And I was like, one, I don't want to work that hard to create a bulletin that you have to download and then all that. That we could just walk through it and it's simple. And I mentioned to some people that for our in-person, we're not going to have a bulletin. We'll have some announcements. And folks are like, oh, okay. And I always joke that if I would have said six or you know two years ago, you know what, we're just going to get rid of the bulletin. Boy, there would have been pitchforks. And how could we not have a bulletin? What? I mean, can you imagine? Like if I, now again, right now we're like, oh, not a big deal. But can you imagine two years ago, if we would have said we're killing off the bulletin, no more bulletin. How people, how you, right? Just like you're just, uh, would have been like, oh, what? How we can't, this is not church. We don't have bulletin. But yet we figured out a way to move and not, you know, we'll figure out new ways of being, but it's a natural reaction. And I, so I want to acknowledge as we begin to talk about things for our future, it's going to feel like some things we might be saying goodbye to, and there will be this internal reaction to like, oh, uh, uh. now it might be small things. It might be, and who knows what they're going to be. We don't know that yet. But it's a natural reaction to be angry, to be hurt, to blame, and also to grieve. One of the most beautiful parts of this passage is that Jesus weeps, is that there is something about saying goodbye to things that we have loved that creates deep churning of our emotions. We think about those who have come before us. We think about as we've celebrated a few lives of this congregation in Gene Drummond and in Dick Sims. And as we begin to think about others, memorials that are coming up, we, we weep at the memory of what was. It's not a, a weeping that is regret. It's a weeping of what was that brought us so much joy and life and meaning. Especially on this All Saints Day where we think back of those saints who have come before us. But here's the thing about All Saints Day for me. When I think about the saints for me who traveled across oceans, who said goodbye and saw death in their life and moved into a newness that they had no idea what was, it was going to be about, that they certainly grieved and were angry and there was all kinds of emotion, but as my grandparents and those in my, the, the saints of my life and my world, as they moved into new beginnings and new places, it was all about the future. It was all about what could be. It was all about how do we create space for generations to come so they may experience something that is even more transform transformative than what they experience themselves. I think we have to recapture that for ourselves as a community and as individuals. What does it mean for us to, to grieve that which has been passed, but to scream out into ourselves and into the church, come on out again. What does it mean for us to be Lazarus into the future? What does it mean for us to embody that which is brought back to life? Now, please don't hear me. There is, I'm not saying that this church is dead. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying is that there is so much opportunity for new life and new beginnings here. That all we need to do, as if it's going to be easy, 
is to claim and remember as resurrection people, we can be Lazarus. Like oftentimes we put ourselves in these other positions, but sometimes we need to understand that Jesus calls us. And Jesus doesn't just whisper. Jesus doesn't just nudge. In this case, Jesus shouts. Jesus shouts to Lazarus, come on out. You might be bound and wrapped, but you are now alive. I think about the church, our church, that we have been bound and wrapped by things that at one point nourished and fed, but now hold us back from experiencing what new life might look like. And Jesus shouts out to us, get on out here, be unbound, untied, and live a new day. What you and I will do over the next few months, along with your envisioning task force, is to figure out how are we going to do that? What are those things that we hold on to that aren't binding us, but, but give us depth and texture and breath? What are those things that are part of our theological DNA and our cultural DNA that, that make us who we are, that, that give us the very unique nature of this particular congregation? And what are those things that hold us back, bind us, tie us up so that we cannot experience new life in whatever God is calling that to be? That should be an exciting adventure for all of us. Yes, we will grieve. Yes, there will be things that we, we desperately want to hold on to, but Jesus is going to tell us those things have got to go. And not just go and not be replaced, but go and, gosh, look what else could happen. And here's the thing that I learned from my grandparents um, and from those who have come before. They had no idea what was going to happen. They had no idea, and yet they trusted. And as a parent in that sandwich generation with older um, folks and children, uh, somebody calls it now the Panini generation because we're even compressed even more. And that's hard to do. Like it's, we just launched our last kid into the world. I want to trust, I don't want to trust the unknown. I want to know the known. I want to know exactly what's going to happen and all the things that she's going to do and my children are going to do. I want to know all of that for certain so I can work towards helping that to come to fruition. But yet I don't. I simply have to trust that we have given them a foundation, that we have provided a place to return to if ever needed, that we've provided a community and we provided knowledge and love and all the things so that they may discover even those things that I have no idea about. That they may become who God intends them to become, even if I'm not part of that, or even if I don't get to decide what that is. That is the hardest part about new life for next generations. It's the hardest part about being a community like ours who we talk about wanting to live on. We talk about wanting to welcome new people in. It's so hard for us to do that and trust the unknown. If we could say to ourselves, we want us to welcome people in, but let's, can we just do everything exactly the same way that we're doing them now? That would be awesome. But we all know that is not reality. Because if we... We're to keep doing every, if we, if, if what we do now and the way we do it 
could draw new community into this place, it would have. And so now we have to rethink about how we are going to be church in the future. And again, it doesn't mean that everything goes away, but it does mean that some things will. But even through the anger and the grief, we remember that there is new life. We remember that God promises us, promises us that death does not have the final word. This story here again, Lazarus, whenever you hear Lazarus now, I want, us, I want you to think about the church, what it means for it to look sometimes and feel sometimes like it's at its end. And we can think of all the reasons, we can blame all the reasons, we can all that we can do. But at the end of the day, I do believe that Jesus calls the church into new life in the world. Some will tell you that the church is done. I simply don't believe that. The church at us has been, maybe in some form, but the church that is called into the new way of being in the world, Jesus is shouting. So our question as a community that is here now is will we listen? Will we be Lazarus in the world? I hope we will. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, for the spirit that is in this place, the spirit that continues to challenge us and move us, the spirit that continues to be your, uh, your prodding for all of us, the annoyance in our spirits and our hearts and our minds, the, the challenge that it is to move into the world in ways that we have no idea about the ways in which your spirit calls us to be faithful, to let go of that which must be let go of, to hold on to those things that bring us truth, but to trust God enough to walk into the unknown and let God's truth be revealed before us. We thank you for that gift and for the community that does it together because we know we are not alone in this. We pray all this in the name of Christ and all God's people say. Amen.